Today I'm going to talk about uh, something which is very technical called Qigong deviation. Mm. Okay, and the uh, it, it's it's more commonly known uh, to to the lay person as Zhou uh, Huo Ru Mo. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about Zhou uh, Huo Ru Mo or the technicalities later. But here, here are some of my primary arguments I'm trying to make today. All right. Um, firstly, I'm trying to argue for a new way of looking at this thing called Qi, which is a very common term used in the Chinese language. And it has certain technical meaning in the use of in, in medicine, in religious practices, in qigong, in martial arts, so on and so forth, right? So I'm I'm saying that I'm trying to argue that this thing called qi can be seen as something which is neither subject nor object, right? I I, I like to call it a cosmic agent. So it has qualities which is kind of subhuman, but yet something which is much more material in its ontology, okay, and. Qigong is, is, is a very specialized art that deals specifically with this thing called qi, much more specialized than any other art. Right? And, and Qigong has a, has, a, has a, believe it or not, a very short history. Okay, the term Qigong emerged specifically on the 3rd of March 1949. Prior to that, Qigong has a lot of other different names. Uh, maybe uh, sometimes it's called Daoyin, Tuna, so on and so forth. Right. And, and Qigong is a, is a holistic art that, 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 that uh, requires uh, the use of the heart, mind, sin, the use of the volition, yi nian, and the use of the person body, right, shen qi. So in dealing with qi, all these three faculties, if you like, uh, uh, are used to, to, to reckon with the subject-object character of this thing called qi. But Qigong training is more than just uh, doing all those actions one and a half hours, uh, three times a week. I'm trying to argue that Qigong is a form of habitus that you have to um, develop or cultivate over many, many years of mindful training. So it's, it goes beyond just the training ground into the conduct of everyday life. And that's why it's a form of unskillment. Right. And if you're incompetent in that art, if you do not conduct yourself properly in everyday life in, quite, in order to acquire competence in Qigong, what we call Gong Li, right? It can lead to Qigong deviation, right? A form of Qigong malpractice, right? It is more than just an existential health crisis. It is also what I'm trying to argue for a political crisis, right? And this approach may help us reinterpret how Qi is understood in the context of other types of uh, traditions and practices that utilize the notion of Qi. Right. Next slide. Okay, why is it called Zhou Huo Ru Mo? It's, it's a term that's commonly used in pugilistic uh, swords fighting novels. Usually it comes with uh, images of someone who has trained in unorthodox martial arts or who has taken shortcuts in, in his martial arts training. And this person usually goes mad, he suffers certain pains on the body, he can't control himself, he starts seeing things, he starts hearing voices, so on and so forth. It's called Zhou Ru Mo because the, uh, in traditional um, um, type of Qigong called Daoyin, the entire person body is seen as an urn, right? And you use this urn to cultivate the elixir of life. So this very abdominal pit, right, is the pit of the urn, okay? And then you cook the elixir right down here, right? This is called the elixir field, Dantian. So before you cook something, right, you have to raise the fire, right? So this very action of raising qi is called qi huo, raising the fire. And if something goes wrong when you're raising fire, you miss fire. Right. And once you misfire, it causes qi to transform in certain ways and move in certain directions that can affect right, your entire sense of selfhood, 
can affect the way you feel your body, it can yeah. affect everything about you, right? And this is what we mean by entering the realm of demons. Now, demons, the word demon shouldn't be taken, taken too literally, right? It can refer to, you know, ghosts and devils and things like that. But in this case, right, at least in this type of qigong that I'm doing, qigong, intelligence capability qigong, right, more, right, it strays all the way back to uh, the origin of the word itself from the Sanskrit word molo or Mara, which refers to the Lord of Distraction, the one who tried to tempt Buddha or merely distraction. So to enter the realm of demons is to enter a state of deregulation, right? Mm -hmm. To use a, a, the Kamian term, a state of anomie, right? We're not talking about uh, anomic division of labor, but something which is experienced, which is felt, which can have certain objective signs which have medical significance. Okay, right, and qigong pian cha, right, or qigong deviation is the term which is uh, most widely used uh, uh, in the qigong community. Whereas the final term, zhen wang xiang gong, right, is a term that's used specifically in zhenen qigong, which means a clash between what's real and illusory, right. However, illusions is not, experiencing illusions is not deviation. Experiencing illusions is a necessary byproduct, okay, of qigong training. And the very purpose of Qigong training is to establish unity. Right? There are two levels of unity, internal unity, okay, and unity between the self and the universe. Right? So when, you're, when this unity occurs, right, if you do not have the right condition of the heart-mind or right attitudes, Qigong deviation can occur. Right? So that's all for it's, it's very technical, you can go on and on about this, but I'd like to get to the, the more important um, um, issues that I'm trying to deal with today. Alright, sorry. <clears throat> okay, uh, next slide. Okay, what is agency? Alright, yesterday we were talking about agency, we were talking about agency this, agency that, this is more agency, but what exactly is agency? It's a question that I've been struggling for about 10 years since I started studying Western philosophy and comparing with what I know of Chinese philosophy. And, and agency, after in many different ways, free will, uh, so on and so forth, is a very important term, concept in Western philosophy. But from my study of Chinese philosophy, in, in both practice and, and in, in, in both philosophy classes, agency is not something which is very important. So what exactly is agency? Okay. Um, Schopenhauer, uh, quite interestingly, uh, put it quite, quite simply. He says that uh, agency is something which is metaphysical. Because anything which is physical has a prior cause. So for instance, this paper, it has a prior cause, it comes from a tree, and the tree comes from something else. Right? Whereas this thing called agency or free will has no cause, it is a cause without a cause. Right? But it's very difficult to pin down whether something has a prior cause or not. This is a question of etiology. Right? And it has been uttered in many different philosophical disciplines. For instance, uh, philosophy of religion, the argument from design, if God created the universe, who created God? And who, who, is, which, uh, who is the one who created God, who created the God, who created the universe, so on and so forth. So as Bertrand Russell said, it's turtles all the way. All right? So we need to find another way of, of trying to, to pin down what exactly makes agency agency. Okay? So I was inspired greatly by this article written by Anne Scott in the journal Body and Society. It's called The Symbolizing Body and the Metaphysics of Alternative Medicine. Okay? And here are some, some of the things she, uh, she said. All right? Firstly, Right, as we all know, agencies is often equated or related to conscious rational will action. Right, it is equated with 
the faculty of the mind, of consciousness, right? So what exactly is it? It's the thing that makes the mind the mind. And, 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 and of course, phenomenologists are the ones who are experts in the study of consciousness. So phenomenologists generally agree that intentionality is the mark of the mental, which begs the question, what is intentionality? Okay, so we go all the way back to Sartre and Edmund Husserl and other people, Martin Heidegger, and <clears throat> so on and so forth, right? They argue that there's no such thing as pure consciousness. Consciousness is always consciousness of something, right? In the words of Sartre, consciousness has no being. The being of consciousness is nothingness. That which makes consciousness it is, is very directedness or directionality, right? So, in summary, agency is defined by its very directedness. It has no ontology, but it is always directed. Next slide, please. Okay. So, Enscott goes on to argue that we can find agency in the network, but this definition of agency as necessarily directedness, then we can find directedness almost everywhere we look. Okay. Because everything that exists in this thing called reality exists directionally to one another. So for instance, Fromm talks about emotions which are directed inwards and outwards. Which is that? Who is that? Fromm. Yeah, I, I, I can pass you the article. It's, it's, no, it's a very thick... Which Fromm? Uh, I can't remember the, the, very, the first name. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, it's a very thick article. You can check it out if you want to. Yeah. And uh, other people like Bigwood and Norris talking about animals, human bodies, and plants that exist in a sympathetic relationship to the environment. Right? They are all open systems. They are beings in the world, right? the way that uh, Heidegger uses it. Right? It doesn't apply only to humans, but to organisms and plants as well. And Martin and Fiber talk talks about how this directedness can also be found in the organic world. To, to give a very simple example, like this paper, for instance, lying on the table, Right, it's directed towards the ground, it's directed against gravity. Right, look at the plant, the plant is directed against the ground as it goes up towards the sun. Okay, I'm directed towards you, so I'm talking towards you. And even if I reduce myself to molecules and atoms and protons, neutrons and electrons, they're still directed at one another. So it is directedness that characterizes this thing called the universe, this thing called the cosmos. And if directedness is the very nature of reality, and it is directedness that defines agency, then directedness does not exist in the individual's actors within the network. The network itself is the agent. Next slide, please. Okay. Now, what exactly is qi? There are many ways of defining qi. In Zhenen Qigong, which tries to be a science, it claims that it is a science. Right. It's, it's very manual itself, which is about 600 pages long. Right. Uh, 500 pages are devoted to trying to justify itself as a science. Right. Only about 100 pages are on the practical applications. Right. So in Zhenen Qigong, Qi refers to the most fundamental material constituent of the cosmos. Right. It is a constituent of both spirit and matter. It pre-exists spirit and matter. It is a constituent of both the mind and the body. Right. This is what we mean by a monistic, materialistic outlook. There's only one single constituent instead of spirit and matter as two. Right. And qi is something that exists everywhere, between heaven and earth, in heaven and earth, in the mind and body, between mind and body. Right. So in Zhenen in, 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 in Qigong, and perhaps in, 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 in traditional Chinese conception, qi is a concept that is used to comprehend 
right, the very nature of the cosmos is the web, or rather the sponge within which everything exists. And there's no distinction between the sponge and the thing that exists in the sponge. They are one and the same thing. Right? It is not interconnectedness, but rather undifferentiatedness right? that characterizes the worldview in Qigong. Right? So if Qi is that which characterizes the universe, and the universe is merely directedness or directions, right? then we can say that perhaps Qi has agency. But yet Qi is not equivalent to the Christian notion of, of God or, or, or notions of spirits and, 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 and ghosts which are anthropomorphic. Right? Because we cannot hurt Qi's feelings, we cannot beg Qi for forgiveness, we cannot bribe Qi with, with material goods, like what you can do in certain religious practices. So perhaps we can say that Qi is a cosmic agent because it has directionality, it has intentionality, but it is non-anthropomorphic, so it is both subject and object at the same time because it's material, but yet it seems to have a certain will of its own. Right. Next slide. <clears throat> now the reason why I started thinking about this, in fact, this thing, this issue of Qi as a cosmic agent hit me about two years ago when I was practicing Qigong, and I noticed some anomaly, something which is very strange about the techniques, the principles, the theories. Okay, and, and, I, I, and I had a lot of difficulties trying to make sense of it until I came across uh, Scott's uh, article and, 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 and after watching a Japanese cartoon called Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> Isn't it right? You know, there's this, there's this uh, uh, part where the puppet master starts talking about how uh, a consciousness can emerge from the network. Right. It's, it's mind-boggling, but it's something like that. Right? So this is just a few lines, which, which can, is, is an example of the anomalies that I'm, I'm trying to say, talk about. Right? Um, it's, it's part of the preparation work for each and every single set of qi, qigong uh, technique. Right? So you have to do this, you have to utter this, you have to mean it, right? you have to speak it, you have to think about it, you have to feel it. Right? It goes like this, It's internalized in me, I can recite it with my eyes closed. Right? Right, the translation would be to prop up heaven and spend, stand firm on earth. That's a literal translation. But the word in Tian Li has certain moral, ethical, social connotation. It means having an indomitable spirit with nothing to hide. So right. at, at the practical level, Ding Tian Li means to do this. Right, to prop up heaven and stand firm on the ground. Okay? But it also means you know being upright with nothing to hide. Right. So they are undifferentiated. We shouldn't see them as, as, as something that uh, one part belongs to one domain and another part belongs to another domain. They are the same. Okay. <clears throat> A sec second part, the form relaxes and the volition is filled. Right. You're respectful on the outside and tranquil on the inside. Okay. The heart mind is truthful. It is sincere and the appearance remains polite. The very last line seen to Mao Gong, the heart mind is truthful and appearance polite, appeared in Yi Jingjing as well, in one of the slides. Yes, it's about, uh, in fact, many of these uh, appear in a lot of other types of Qigong. So perhaps what I'm saying about Zilin Qigong is, might be applicable to other types of Qigong as well. So this is very strange. Why, why, why should you have to do all this? Why should you be polite in your appearance? Why have to be sincere? Who are you being sincere to? Who are you being polite to? Who are you being respectful to? Right? Because you don't, you don't always, if, if you do, even if you do Qigong in a group, Right? People have their eyes closed. They can't see how polite you are. And most of the time, you do Qigong alone as well. 
So who are you being polite and respectful to? So the thing that you're always in contact with is firstly yourself and secondly qi. So I started suspecting that these are ways of reacting and interacting with this thing called qi. And it seems as if you're, you're, you're dealing with another human being, a subject. You have to be respectful, you have to be sincere. So there's something rather subjective about this thing called qi. <clears throat> so to put it in a nutshell, right, what is this attitude that you should have in practicing, while you're practicing qi gong, right? One master put it very simply, ru dai gui ren, as if you're meeting a government official or important person. Gui ren in ancient times refers to, it's a very specific technical label for a government official, but in everyday use today, it just means something, some person who is, who is indispensable and important. He is something, he or she is something important. He or she is as important as a government official. So you should treat, your attitude in, 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 in doing Qigong should embody right, such treatments of an important person. <clears throat> okay, uh, next slide. Yeah, and I was, uh, uh, man, I was talking about uh, Qigong as conduct, as habitus rather than mere training. This brings us back to Tim Ingo's notion of unskillment. Okay, he talks a lot about, about uh, uh, in, this book, in his book on uh, perceptual environment, about dwelling, about unskillment, things like that. But uh, it's some, something about the book that struck me, which is the distinction between art and technology. Right? Sometimes he, he calls it skill, sometimes he calls it art skill. Sometimes he calls it technique, but he always tries to uh, find a comparison with the notion of technology. Okay, one of the arguments he made is that in the form of the technician in art, the technician is not detached from the technique. Art is different from technology because it seeks to review rather than control. And skills takes years or even decades to develop. Right? It, it's not merely the application of explicit principles that, learn, that are learned from text and verbal instructions. Right. But it is learned from being embedded within social relations through imitation, observation, sensations, empathy to become tacit know-hows. Right. It's not something that you can easily articulate. It's not something you can transmit through a text. Right. And it takes years to develop. And this thing called gongli, which qigong practitioners try to achieve. Right. Gongli can be translated as competency, power, accomplishments or even merit right it's not something that you can develop simply in the training ground but impossibly everything we do by putting ourselves into this thing called qigong state qigong zhuang tai a qigong state is a state of absolute unity right in other words you have to be utterly focused on every single thing you do for instance when you're walking you have to feel the ground you have to feel the heel touching the ground flowing over the ground and until it reaches the top tip of the toe and it lifts your leg up. You have to feel the very movement of your hips. You have to feel the very sense of balance that you have when you're walking. This is what we call a qigong state and this is definitely possible in every single thing we do. And if you want to acquire competency, you should always do that. In fact, as I speak, I'm supposed to do this. Mm. Right? It's very difficult to do, I promise you. Okay, so to, to and, and in Qigong training, training terms, we like to use the word lianxi, but lianxi is not training. Yeah, it is not just practice. Right? It goes much more than that. Right? One of my Qigong masters put it very simply in, in the term, in, in a single statement. He's, she said in Mandarin, 行为不检点就代表功力不足. 
right? In English, it simply means that improper conduct is an indicator of lack of gongli. So it is improper conduct in mindful, controlled, regulated conduct of everyday life in every single thing you do that you acquire gongli, qi gong competency, power. Okay, right. And next slide, please. Okay, here's a clip from the movie Hamburger Hill, right, to illustrate the difference between a technologist and an artist. Okay, so you see two protagonists. The first one is a technologist. The second one is an artist. Just click on it. It's not moving. I'm not sure if you uploaded the supporting video. Right. It, yeah, it should be on inside the PowerPoint. It's not working. I think they draw off of the source. Oh, okay. Right, right. Yeah. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just a movie clip. Yeah. But you know, just to describe uh, uh, the the clip itself. All right. Um, they were in a, in, a, in a heated battle, and one guy, the private, was carrying a grenade launcher. So the sergeant told him to, to hit the grenade launcher in a certain spot, 500 meters up. So the guy was using the, the iron sights, the aiming sights, and was fumbling with it. Okay, this is a very good example of technology. You try to apply certain principles, right, manifested as strict, clear measurements on the iron sights. Right, he failed to do it, and the sergeant came over, took the grenade, grenade launcher, and just fired and hit it and said, that's where I want it. Now that's an artist. Right? It's a tacit know-how that you can't develop merely from applying Principles. It's the same with Qigong. Next slide. <clears throat> so what exactly causes what exactly is the mechanism that causes deviation, right? As I mentioned earlier, Qigong tries to achieve unity. Okay, both internal unity and in unity between the self and the cosmos. Right? What Qigong training does is that it transforms dormant internal qi, nei qi, which exists as jing, the qi concentrate, right? You can say that the body, what you can feel, that which is tangible, is jing. Okay? So when you, you train, when you practice qigong, this jing transforms itself into something much, much more intangible. It disperses. Okay? And when it disperses, it transforms into this thing called shen. Right? Sentiency. Awareness. Okay? Everything that we associated with senses, sensitivities. Okay, and once it acquires uh, an intangible form, we call it primordial sentiency, yuanshen. Okay, and primordial, primordial sentiency are whatever types of knowledge, skills, and techniques that you have acquired over generations of lifetimes from your ancestors. Right, so it could go back hundreds of millions of years. Whereas, shen or cognitive sentiency is whatever that you learn in a single lifetime. Okay. So regardless of how, how long you, you, you've been living, if you're 150 years old, it's only 150 years old worth of knowledge, whereas primordial sentency goes back to millions of years. So primordial sentency is much wiser than cognitive sentency, and that's why we try to revive it. Right? And since primordial sentency evolved together with the cosmos, right, to revive it is to establish an, a unity with the cosmos. <clears throat> what happens when... <clears throat> Primordial sentiency is awakened. You start experiencing strange things that you cannot explain. Because all the explanations and categories that we have in our minds are acquired from a single lifetime. All right, let me give you an example. Uh, this, is, this, is a, this, this is actually a, a real account that I had with someone who suffered from Qigong deviation. So this person was training, was practicing Qigong in his room, and he heard a knock on the door. Right? 
And for some reason, he knew who was outside the door. He opened the door and that was the person that he knew was outside the door. You can't explain that using you know, what we learned from our five senses. There's no way that we could have known. He could have known that it is that person standing outside the door. So that is the very clash of what is real and what is illusory. So you start reckoning with, <coughs> is that real? Is that an illusion? Right? That is the very first step towards a dangerous crisis before you get to Qigong deviation. And if your heart-mind condition is not right, then you start suffering a serious uh, problem. Okay. Now, besides internal unity, Qigong always also tries to establish cosmic unity. Right? Qigong training clears certain acupuncture points in the surface of the skin, which allows internal qi to come to contact with external qi, what I call cosmic qi, yuzhou qi. Okay? And if you do not have the competency, you do not have the gongli, you do not have the right heart-mind conditions, it can result in the invasion of the self, a taking over of the self by this thing called cosmic qi leading to a sense of control and even a sense of a loss of selfhood, right? You lose control over your body, you start shaking, you start seeing things, you start hearing voices, you don't even know where you are, when you are, who you are, what's your name, what's your mother's name, so on and so forth, right? And this cosmic qi can also be embodied, contained within very powerful qigong practitioners. So yesterday we were talking about how two powerful shamans should not even meet, right? We have this saying in Qigong uh, circles as well. If two Qigong practitioners are too powerful, they should not meet as well because their Qi might come into conflict with one another and they might mess up one another. So there might be some parallels between shamans and Qigong masters. It's like... <clears throat> so this thing called cognitive sentencing is something that sort of mediates between internal and cosmic Qi. Okay? So when internal Qi is revived, when cognitive sentiency okay, is revitalized, right, and cosmic T comes into contact with you through acupunctural points, right, the cognitive sentiency, what we know, must do a fine balancing act between what is happening inside and what is coming from the outside. Okay? And if you lack the aptitude, the attitude, the heart-mind conditions to make sense of the reactions from all this, this meeting of agents, right? Then you will suffer from Qigong deviation, right? Qi has several different faces, different persona, if you like, different qualities, right? It can be known as Jing Qi or Sun, right? And because Zhenneng Qigong tries to make itself scientific, it starts using terms like energy, Neng Liang, information, Xin Xi, emotions, Biofield, Sengwu Cha, magnetic field, electromagnetic field to try to define what Qi is in order to make it something which is objective that we can measure using instruments. Right? So with the advent of the scientizing of Qigong, Qi has acquired even more faces, even more personae. Right. So what exactly is the wrong heart-mind method that, that I was talking about? Right? To put it in a nutshell, right? The wrong heart-mind method right, includes attachments, tenggua. If you are too attached to something, you love something too much, you desire something too much, okay, or you're greedy for something, you want more of that something, even though you already have it. That's Buddhist. Say again? Yeah, that's Buddhist. That's very Buddhist. Tenggua. Yeah. Attachment versus aversion. Yeah. Okay. Secondly, well, this is a technical term. They call it over-principled volition. 
Okay, we describe it as like having cooking oil sticking to the skin, right? The pollution is very principled. It's very sticky. It sticks to something refuses to let go. Okay, other things include fears and anxieties, anger and hate, or any other forms of extremities. I'm not talking about merely emotional or psychological extremities, but including person bodily ones. The way you stand, okay, right? That's why it's important to intentionally. This is the most neutral way of standing. Okay, some people stand like this. This is an extremity. Right. This is the wrong attitude. This is an attitude. What does it mean to you when I go up to you? <coughs> this is an attitude. This is not just a posture. Right. I go up to you. This is an attitude too. Right. So it is undifferentiated. You should see it's undifferentiated at least in practice. So how do we go about unraveling the knot? The reason why I call this, uh, 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 this, this presentation Unraveling the Demon's Knot because we have this saying in Zilin Qigong called right? It means the one who unties the knot must be the one who has tied the knot. Right? So essentially they are focusing a lot on endogenous forms of prevention and healing. Of course you can cure Qigong deviation through help from a psychiatrist, a medical practitioner, a Qigong master, but I'm, I'm more focused today on endogenous forms of healing. So you have to unravel the knot yourself, okay? Now, firstly, Qigong is a state of anomie. So how do you fix anomie, right? You re-establish regulation or regularity. And since anomie, deregulation, is a result of the interactions between internal qi, Cognitive sentency and cosmic tea. You have to somehow manage this interaction, okay, to prevent this nuclear fission from going out of control. It's literally a form of nuclear fission. You have to manage it, right? And if the practitioner is not cool enough, okay, he or she is likely to be led astray by unfamiliar sensitivities, which which came about from qigong practices, okay. And coolness is not something that you can you can mind yourself. To do it, you can't mind it. You can't will it into existence. It comes from your fundamental worldviews. It must be cultivated over years of socialization, of observation, of imitation. Okay. To put it very simply, coolness means impassion. Okay. Detachments, or more importantly, in in specific qigong terms, which is drawn from both Taoist and Confucian and even Buddhist tradition. Okay. It's moderation or the mean. Okay, you have to be cool. You have to be centered, right? Your posture has to be centered. Your attitude must be centered. You have to be cool. You can't lean from one side to the next. Okay, what does it mean to be cool? Right. To put it very simply, right. Do not be over greedy towards manipulating tea, but do not be over inviting. Okay, maintain a very respectful outlook, which according to Durkheim is a combination of love and fear. Right? So it's somewhere in between. It's very balanced. Okay? Towards the 10,000 things, the universe. Be firm but not overly imperious. Be sincere but not naive. Be benevolent but do not be taken advantage of. And most importantly, believe absolutely that everything in the universe is material in nature, but yet acknowledge the impermanence of the transformation of this thing which is material. So this thing called qi has many faces, has many personae. <clears throat> okay. So if you get the message, right? If you look at the anomalies, anomalies in Qigong practices, you must be respectful, you must be sincere. 
Okay, you must be truthful, but you can't overdo it at the same time. Okay, you must be dignity, you must be straight, you must be cool. Okay? So that is very similar to the type of of attitude, the type of gestures, okay, the type of, of conduct that we show towards a political partner. Okay? The thing about a political partner is that this person is not necessarily an enemy. He is not necessarily a friend. He might be an enemy today, he might be a friend tomorrow. So how do you deal with someone like that? How do diplomats, how do head of states deal with one another? Right? Speaking the language of diplomacy, say a lot but mean little, say little but mean a lot. Use very ambiguous words, ambivalent words. In other words, stay right in the middle. Do not be overly aggressive. Okay? If not, you might piss the partner off. Do not show too much weakness or you might be bullied. Okay? So this is the kind of attitude which we are supposed to cultivate in Qigong practices. So it's as if we're dealing with another human being. Okay? So in conclusion, right? Firstly, Qigong is the most specialized method of getting to know Qi. You shouldn't take it too lightly or too seriously. Okay? Right? It's almost like another human being, but it is not anthropomorphic. Right? It's a force which is material in nature, and it has intentionality, but it's not an organic creature, a machine, or a deity. It is a subject and object at the same time. It is an art that reveals. What does it reveal? It reveals the true nature of the thing we are trying to deal with, the political partner. In the words of Sun Tzu, to know thyself and thy enemy, 100 battles for 100 victories. So the most important thing is to know who your enemy is. If not, you might commit a mistake, which can result in a diplomatic crisis, a political disaster. So the best way to deal with a political partner, or qi, is to observe the doctrine of moderation or the mean, to be cool, not to lean to any extremities. Right? And it's not merely an attitude. It's a common conduct that takes years and decades to learn. Right? It is a skill that is developed over a long period of time. Right? So the heart-mind methods, together with person-body methods, right, are not technology that you can use and apply in any single circumstance, set of circumstances, but they are skills of diplomacy. Right? And finally, here's something that my teacher said, which I'll always remember. It's something that's worth pondering over. Right? Qigong is not gong. It's called gong because it takes seasons of liancy, training, practice, conduct. If not, it will be called fa, which can mean law, method, dharma, principle, which only requires wu, realization. No work required. Very little work required. Okay? And this thing called te, or virtues, is the function of ta, the way, the origin of everything. And to have gong, power, competency, accomplishment, is to have both tao and te. When you put tao and te together, you have the Chinese word tao te, and the word Tao means morality. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. <laughs>